not on TV, it's not a season. Yeah. Your podcast has never been split into seasons. Anyone else want to slag me off now that I press record? Well, there's plenty to slag you off with. Anybody else? Wait, are we just sticking to comics and podcasts? Why are we having a free for all? Let's talk about how you alphabetically arrange your comics. In your own alphabet? You goes in... Is it like a ultimate, alphabet? Ultimate Spider-Man goes in you, but Spectacular Spider-Man goes in... Wait, Amazing Spider-Man goes in S. Anything else? Because this is a pretty good pre-credit sequence. Everyone gangs up on Andrew. This is just every morning. This is every morning before breakfast, yeah. Are we done? I'm sure I think so. I know, yeah. This briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Ages Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration... Sounds a bit rude. We can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Hello, and welcome to another podcast. That was lackluster. <laughs> well, I didn't want to do a big hello, welcome to another podcast. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> what kind of action was that? I don't know what action that was. Hello and welcome to Hey Hello Kids and Comics. welcome to Hey Kids Comics. Very, very good podcast, yeah? Da. We live in Bloodhaven, yeah? <laughs> You're not Adam. <laughs> um, yeah, hello and welcome to another episode of Hey Kids Comics, which is a comics podcast for kids, you know. Adults. Specifically for kids. Anyone who wants to listen. We, I think our we try and maintain a, a friendly... What little fan base we have is mostly... Fan base? Is mostly adults. <laughs> fan base? <laughs> Do you live in this deluded little headspace where you believe that we have a fan base? People email us, and as long as people email us, then I that, believe that, that we have That does not fans. make us a... F- them fans. I think they're fans. No, they're not. Yes, they're no, I, I, we do not have fans. We have fans. No, we don't. People. We have people that listen. If they listen, then by default in my head they're fans. In your head, maybe. It's as good as people listening to us to not like us. It don't make it so, though, does it? Mine. If enough people tell you your, your number two don't stink, it don't make it so. I've smelled it the wrong. Uh, see. Anyway, um, yes, that was an introduction and a half, wasn't it? Mm. Fan base. <laughs> I didn't think it was that funny. It's, it's hysterical. Fan base. Fan base implies we get paid. No, it doesn't. A paycheck implies you get paid. That as well. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. And we're back again. Again. Like a runaway freight train. <coughs> we just don't know when to stop Why doing it. Away. Why is it going to rain? Why is it running away? Because it's it's out of control. But it's a freight train. It's on the it's on the track. Time runs like a freight train. See, it's on the track. Yeah. It'd be a runaway train if it jumped off the track. There's a train and, going down the track. And decided to go cruising around New York and choo choo cause commotion. Cause commotion. Yeah. 
I do like the idea that it will just cause commotion. <laughs> so it's, it's very low-key for a runaway freight train. It will cause a little bit of commotion. Not, nothing too much. Kick over a bin. Kick over a bin, yes. Where the hooligans. Where the hooligans. Uh, there's your Bill Hooks quote for the night. Take a drink. Um, our first email, for we have emails to deal with, mm-hmm. is the final spotlight. Not to be confused with the final countdown by the band Europe. Is there nobody going to leap into the final countdown? Though? I thought I thought you were all going to sing. Started to all finish. You don't know the rest of the words. I don't believe for a second you don't know the rest of the words. I don't know the rest of the words. This email is from the masterful Luke Giaconetti. I always like getting Luke's emails. We always get Luke's emails. There's one every week. Well, there was the week that we didn't have one. I was actually genuinely upset. But then all was right with the world. Superman flew around the earth and turned it backwards and put everything back right. When we discovered that he did actually send an email, but for some reason it didn't get to us. But because of Superman flying so fast around the world and went back in time, he, he didn't send the email. That's very possible. That could have happened. Face front, true believers. I had asked my bride to let me play the final countdown as I made my walk down the aisle, but unfortunately she nixed it. I did get the DJ to play the Archie Sugar Sugar while we were cutting the cake, though. Uh, you know what I wanted? I wanted the throne room and end credits, but your mum kind of said... you walking down the room off and mum walking down the room? I can totally see it for mum walking down the room. Mum walking would have been brilliant, wouldn't it? I would so totally have let you have Darth Vader's theme. Anyway, Luke's email continues. Finished listening to the Alec Ross Spotlight episode. I had a few of these and I'm generally familiar with, and I'm a fan of Ross's artwork, so it was very interesting to see the. Yes. Very interesting to see the selections Michael made. That and his awesome David Bowie impression. <laughs> I'm David Bowie. David Bowie. You see, you're much better at that than I am. See, this is the, this is it's a pain in the ass. This isn't it? I ask him to edit an episode. He does it better than me. I do a litany of terrible impersonations throughout the two years we've been doing the show. He does the occasional one or two, and he always does them well. Should we do the dancing in the street video? Uh, no. Please don't. No. <laughs> it's single since it said we should we should make our own version. I was like, no. No. But. No. Um, Luke's email continues Marvels was a revelation when it was first released I was 13, 14 when that series came out and it was unlike anything I had ever seen before Ross's art was so perfectly suited to what I call the passion play of the old school Marvel universe it works on a very visceral level and seeing the Marvels through the eye of Sheldon's camera was a brilliant move which solidifies this series as a classic of the superhero genre in my mind a few Marvels notes Luke Cage was not the hero of Harlem, as a lot of folks tend to think. Luke worked out of Times Square, 42nd Street in Manhattan, not Harlem, which is way uptown, starting at 110th Street. It was the Falcon who was the hero of Harlem, and generally disliked by the residents of the neighbourhood throughout the 70s. Luke grew up in Harlem, but when he returned to New York after escaping from prison, he dared not return there out of fear someone would recognise him. They They were referring to the Falcon, weren't they? Yeah. I thought they were referring to Luke Cage, but I was wrong. They were actually referring to the Falcon. Why have we recorded that as well? I'm often wrong. Often wrong, sung. You never admit it, though. I try not to. The Daily Globe, continued Luke, besides being where Peter was on staff for a while, was also where Eddie Brock worked before becoming Venom. See, it all comes back to Venom. 
The newspaper's headline, Four Wounded in Stark Riot, was, as Michael alluded to, featured in Iron Man 44 through 46. The storyline here is that Stark's decision to get out of weapons manufacturing had brought the wrath of the board of directors and started an internal conflict within the company. Protesters would surround Stark Industries every day, calling Tony a war profiteer and other nastiness. When Iron Man refuses to disperse the protesters, the board gets Kevin O'Brien wearing the guardsman armour to do it. Unfortunately, O'Brien is already jealous of Stark for his romantic connection to Marianne Rogers, and the armour itself is slowly driving him even more insane. So Guardsman ends up firing into the crowd in a thinly veiled reference to the Kent Street University incident from a few years prior. The indication in the books is that the protesters were killed, so the impact was softened a bit here in Marvels. Kevin would eventually die in combat with Iron Man, although Tony was not trying to kill his friend. The death was accidental. Good story from a period of Iron Man which a lot of people have never read. Well, I've never read it. Mm. Have you read it? I've not read it. But you knew about it? Yes. Because it's in the back of Marvels. Yes. Ah, very good. You uh, did your research. I mean, I had a vast amount of knowledge beforehand. Do you really? Uh, yeah. You have a vast amount of knowledge. Yeah. A great wealth of knowledge. Indeed. I can't have anyone with me who isn't with me. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. It was a little strange to me as an Iron Man fan, continues Luke's email, that while Gwen Stacy's death was the focal point of the final issue, the death of Janice Cord was seemingly not even mentioned at all. Janice Cord was the daughter of one of Tony Stark's rivals, who became his girlfriend during the early days of his own title, being introduced in Iron Man issue 2. She would be killed in the crossfire of a three-way battle between Shellhead, Crimson Dynamo and Titanium Man in Iron Man 22, and died in Iron Man's arms, nearly recognising him as Tony before she passed. This was cover dated February 1970, a full three years before Gwen died. Under Archie Goodwin, the death of Janice Cord was an element which haunted Tony for some time, along with the deaths of Kevin O'Brien, as detailed above, and was part of the overall emotive arc for Shellhead in the pre-Layton Michelini days. Not that Janice Cord was equivalent to Gwen Stacy, but her death seems like the natural predecessor to the death of Gwen. Maybe I'm overthinking this. So I don't remember Janice Cord ever being mentioned in any Iron Man stories I've ever read. I don't know. And I do often think that probably would have been the best way to go with Gwen. Yeah. Like your mum said the other day, 40 years and they're still banging on about it. Mm-hmm. It's a valid point. Yeah. She must have been had that much of an effect on older men. Yeah, middle-aged men. <laughs> <laughs> the epilogue to Kingdom Come was a nice send-off to that series, Luke continues. A little lightness after the series made up almost completely of darkness. If I'm remembering correctly, there was a little throwaway line about someone stealing the boxing glove arrow and the response being, go and get another one from the back. To me, this either means that they are A, cheap replicas of Green Arrow's boxing glove arrow, or B, or two. Actually, <laughs> Luke's doing it. <laughs> I'm assuming that him and Dave do this deliberately to yeah. mess me up. It didn't work. It, it works every, every time I fall for that, mm-hmm. don't I? And two, Green Arrow simply had many of them over the years and they're in ready supply. As it stood before the new 52 Kingdom Come was on its own Earth, 26, I think, the John stuff in Justice Society, which Michael mentioned, made it very clear that the Kingdom Come Superman travelled to New Earth and was part of the JSA for a while during the GOG storyline. Good stuff, which is definitely worth reading. John's had a great handle on the JSA, mostly because he helped create most of the characters used in it. The most interesting aspect about Justice to me was the rise of Black Manta. Now, this was long before it was hip to like Aquaman and his baddies, but Black Manta makes a great showing in the series. I remember an interview with Ross where he said that he wasn't sure which villain would step up to break out character. To be the breakout character, sorry, but as the story developed, Manta seemed to just step into the role. Black Manta's very simple design also looked wonderful, painted by Ross. I have the DC Direct figure, it looks even better in three dimensions. As an aside, Dynamite might be doing good work on the Shadow, but they absolutely butchered the Phantom, and I cannot abide by that, especially after nearly a decade of great stuff from Moonstone. Celevi. 
Also, I used to listen to your show at work, but now I'm on the job site and thus have to listen during my commute. I really dug Spotlight on and very much looking forward to Longbow Hunters. Own it! Woo! And Maximum Carnage. Bossed off the rack. Woo! Told you it all comes back to Venom. Keep it up, boys. Luke. P.S. Andy, I've listened to a few Beatles album on your recommendation. I think I figured it out. It's not that I don't like the Beatles. I just don't like John Lennon. When a song by Paul McCartney comes on, because my first thought is, hey, this sounds like Wings. Band on the run. <laughs> like a bit of Paul McCartney. Never wrong with a bit of Paul McCartney. Thank you very much, Luke, as ever. Always appreciate your emails. Our next missive, Catching Up with the Leylands, is by Michael Bailey. Are we all sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey there to my mates from across the pond. A very big pond. It's In the country. <laughs> Full of pond life. Yeah. Well, it's been a while, and for that <laughs> I... S- Thank you very much. I sincerely apologise. Life has been rather interesting as of late, and kept me from writing every week like I used to. Anyway, your Spotlight series was excellent and ended on a high note. Some random thoughts for each episode. Peter David. My appreciation for Peter David's work knows no bounds. In 1996, a friend of mine dropped his copy of David's But I Digress collection, and I fell in love with the man's writing through his essays. It made me track down his entire run of the Hulk, which was fun, but rather difficult at times. The reward of reading his time with the Hulk was reward enough. Your choices were excellent, as I too love the commuter story, though it's not my favourite of his Spider-Man works. No, it's it's not his favourite, my favourite of his Spider-Man works either. I picked it because it was one issue. I wanted to do the death of Gene DeWolf, didn't I? Yeah. And I thought, but that would be devoting the entire show to one storyline. Yeah. And I wanted to show a mixture of David's work from the funny to the serious to the Star Trek. Yeah. Which was both. Because the Star Trek's its own different job. Yeah, well, his Star Trek is his, his own thing, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it was fun to do a dramatic reading. Yeah. <laughs> Did you actually have that in mind when you showed that issue? No. No, no I really didn't. But I was synopsis in it, and I was like, I can't synopsis this yeah. without just reading it. Yeah. So I didn't have it in mind when I picked it. story time. Oh, yeah, I think we should do that. Yeah. I should totally read Girl Wolf that yeah. I wrote, shouldn't I? Just to show off your own novel. Yeah. yeah. And then somebody will go, I will publish your novel, Andrew. Yeah. And I will go, excellent, give me money. <laughs> and then we will retire to the country yeah. where we will buy polo sticks and shoot foxes like, <laughs> the, like the upper class, my darling. I don't think that'll ever happen, do you? Probably not. Do you think the upper class would tolerate us northern scum? <laughs> probably not. Probably not. They'd probably no. send us to the foxes. <laughs> They'd feed us to the foxes. Yeah. <laughs> if there was ever a man built to write Spider-Man, Michael's email continues, it's Peter David. And the fact that he never got a full-on four-alarm shot at the character belonged to the ancillary titles is not just a shame, but a damn shame. I remember reading the Hulk issue you all chose in a drugstore soon after it came out, and the line, Which one of you dead men hurt my friend? has stuck with me for nigh on 20 years now. I had no idea who Jim Wilson was at the time, but it didn't matter. Peter's writing made me care. I'm shockingly unfamiliar with his Star Trek work. I need to rectify that. I'll read them for you if you want. <laughs> I'll just do an entire season where I read Peter David's Star Trek comics, acting out all the characters myself. That sounds decent, and I get... <laughs> You get a month off. (laughs) Well, every single character from Star Trek suddenly comes from the north. (laughs) Because lots of planets in the Federation have enough. Excellent. Uh, Grant Morrison, Michael continues, if this episode did anything else, it cemented in my head the idea that while I'm not a fan of Grant Morrison's work as a whole, I cannot say that he's a bad writer. Michael's case for him was epic, and the one line that said, paraphrasing of course, I want to read superhero comics that are like Twin Peaks, drove home the point that his stories just aren't for me. 
I'm the opposite of Michael when it comes to this, but it doesn't really mean that someone shouldn't tell those stories. I think this is no more apparent than in the fact that Michael doesn't really care for Morrison's JLA run, and it's my favourite thing he ever did. The great thing is, we're both right. The All-Star Superman issue chose was a good one, and I liked the conversation it produced. I'm still trying to find time to read through Morrison's Batman run, but the fact that I not only pulled everything I had, but also bought some stuff to fill in the blanks is a testament to Michael's praise of the material. Odd story about the Invisibles. A friend of mine that was one of my co-pilots during the course of my senior year in high school and freshman year of college was a guy named Eric. He liked comics, but as would happen often in my teenage years, he didn't like the comics I did. One day we were driving around after hitting the comic shop and he read to me what I now realise was the first issue of The Invisibles, which he loved. Your coverage brought back a great memory and I thank you for that. Well, thank you, Michael. We didn't know that, but we, we appreciate the sentiment. I do hope he read it in a Scouse accent. Yeah. I think that, that would have been very amusing. When I tried doing that for Hellblazer and it didn't work. Did it not work out for you? No. Garth Ennis. Thanks to this episode, I reread the first three Preacher trades in a day and a half. Thank you for that because it reminded me what a freaking awesome series this is. Give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. I also need to add his war books to my hopefully I will live long enough to read all his goddamn comics pile. <laughs> Hitman is yet another of those series. The only Hitman I've ever read was the JLA Hitman miniseries, and I loved that book. I was impressed how Ennis handled Superman in that story, and it made me realise that while the execution was awful, the idea behind Bloodlines was sound. I guess I'll get those trades, too. I wish you guys could get a kickback every time this sort of thing's happened. Yes, so do we. <laughs> but on the other side of that, I wish we all got kickbacks whenever you went, that sounds interesting when you listen to a show, and I will read that. Yeah. If, if your mind's connected to bank accounts and things... All the companies sponsored our shows. Yeah, yeah that Marvel and DC. Okay. Give us some money for all the money I've su- all the time I've money I've supported you over the years. Alex Ross. This episode was quite a surprise, and I was glad for it. I have a lot of admiration for Alex Ross and his work, with two exceptions. All of his women outside of Wonder Woman look like drag queens. <laughs> I don't know that I agree with that, but it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a fan of his Superman. See, I love his Superman because yeah. now I am. The wrong side of 30. Nine. I quite like the fact that there's still a superhero out there that looks older than me. Especially now in the new 52 where everyone's, what, 21? Not even that. Well, Batman's a bit older than that, 19-year-olds running around. Yeah, so I quite like the fact that his Superman looks like George Reeves and looks like he's, he's got a few years on the clock. I don't mind that. The Superman thing sticks with me too because not only does he draw him looking as if he was mid-40s, what I just said, but I don't disagree with it, and the S always looks weird to me. The shield looks out of proportion and I just don't care for it, which some would consider heresy. Having said that, Justice and Kingdom Come are two all-time favourites of mine. Justice was a fun romp and it was great to see what an adult Super Friends show would be like. The plot is light and this is the story that gave us the trying to save us Lex Luthor, which is so damned annoying. But just about everything else was awesome sauce. Kingdom Come was a big deal for me when it came out, even though the final issue was one of those things that the crowd I hung out with at the time used to needle me about being a Superman fan. Look how Superman got his ass kicked, they would say, as I would sit there and plot their deaths. (laughs) (laughs) I have this vision of Michael being like Stewie in Family Guy plotting his friends. I will kill you, vile woman. Look look how Superman got his ass kicked. Yes, excellent. Carry on walking to the X. 
this is one of those stories that I have followed beyond the comics and devoured the novelization, the audio drama, and I even picked up the Kingdom Come Companion, which is an extensive tome devoted to the story. The final scene is just amazing. I'm glad you covered it because it really drives home the point that the story at its core was about finding hope when it has vanished from the earth. That is something that I think is lost in the modern day analysis of the story. Kingdom Come was very much of its time and was a reaction to the violence and needless savagery of the image characters and their ilk. I will agree that it's hit and run type story as Wade and Ross got to tell the story of the final adventure of the old guard heroes and it's always easier to burn down a barn than build a title up. That said, Matt Wade had a track record of doing long-term work on a character, so that elevates this one a bit for me. To me, the story marked the moment where DC turned around as a company and came out of the darkness of the early 90s and became fun again. Because of all of that, I will always hold this story in high regard. And yes, the absolute is gorgeous. Longbow Hunters. It has been so long since I read this book, finding it is tied with a rather fond memory from the summer of 1995, a.k.a. the summer Mike was kind of lonely and miserable because he was finally getting hit with all of the fallout of what happened during his senior year. Through my friend Larry and the girl he was... with... Yeah, that's the best way to describe that. I met an attractive young lady named Lisa who surprised the seven hells out of me the first night we met by knowing who John Byrne was. As Andrew can attest, there was a time when a woman knowing her way around comics was rare indeed, so the fact that I have come smitten with her was no surprise. It still is rare. It's not as rare. You go to cons now that's full of girls. Yeah, they're all dressed as anime characters. Not always. Or Deadpool. I don't mind them being dressed as Deadpool. Okay. Oddly enough, we would have gone out if it wasn't for the fact that I had a girlfriend, which would have been awesome because I was 19 and she was 27. (laughs) She lent me her copy of this series and I loved the hell out of it. I spent years trying to get an entire run of Grell's Green Arrow work and I'm close enough that I can start reading if I want to. For what it's worth, I'm with Andy. Dina wasn't raped. Oh, and I appreciated the Action Comics 587 reference Andy made when he's talking about Monty Python. Good one, sir. Damn near slipped me by. Well, I've taken up enough of your time. I look forward to the next slate of episodes you have lined up. And as always, take care of yourself, my friends. Cheers, Mike. Thank you very much, Mike. Yeah, we, we didn't get Dina was raped in Long Bones, did we? I do like how all of um, his years have an AKA the year Michael was. Well, he's, uh, he's done entire swaths of views from the long box with those subtitles. I, AKA the year Mike did this. Yeah. AKA the year Mike did that. And they're very, very interesting listening. Yeah. Very fascinating to listen to. Our next and final email for the night is from James Hunt. Hi, James. And now for something completely different, speaking of Monty Python. Mm. Hey, Leylands. Hey, James. Great podcast, as always. Really enjoyed the Spotlight series, though Grant Morrison does seem to have jumped off the deep end ever so slightly. Ever <laughs> so slightly. <laughs> He's uh, jumping into those Mantra Mantra Sonic sounds. Oh, dear God. Who's he going to see next? Jim Morrison. <laughs> Already has. <laughs> Kurt Cobain? No, not yet. Janis Joplin? No. No, Elvis? Probably. Not met with Elvis? Hmm? You go, hmm? go with New Vegas and who doesn't see Elvis? <laughs> anyway, to my point. I'm currently reading Mark Miller's run on Marvel Knight's Spider-Man. I was wondering if you guys had ever read it and what you thought of it. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you asked, James. I think it's an overrated piece of tripe. Full of the usual Millerisms, i.e., lots of darkness for the sake of darkness, and every single character talks the same. That's what I think of his 12 issue run on Spider Man. Okay. The art's very pretty, though. Well, yeah. I'll give it that. It's Frankie Chill. And there's four issues by somebody else, isn't there? The Dod- no, the Dodsons did the art, Frank Chill did four issues. Alright. So it's quite a similar, yeah. similar vein. So uh, I'm not a fan. I think would be the charitable way of putting it, wouldn't it? I can't remember reading it. 
When I first read it, James continues, I was pretty impressed. But on the reread, I'm finding it very frustrating. The basics of the story seem fine. It's just the dialogue and characterization of everyone makes me think, would Spider-Man really say that? Exactly mine. Well done, James. You and me, simpatico, buddy. Couldn't agree more. The thing is, I'm loving Terry Dodson's art. He does draw a great Spider-Man and Black Cat. I'll let you pause for a minute. Yeah, he does, does, does draw a pretty good Black Cat. His work on the evil that men do was great as well, but he seems to get dumped onto so-so stories. One negative is the amount of rips that Spider-Man Black Cat's costumes get in battle. I know it's realistic, but I read comics to escape from reality. Stop making comics real. By the way, you guys suck. And I asked my mum and she says you do too. <laughs> Keep on sucking. My mum enjoys it. From your flat cat wearing Yorkshireman. Thanks, James. We will continue our very best to, to endeavour to suck moose. Okay. And that's it for emails this week. We got one off the lovely Dave Walker. Hi, Dave, but he says it wasn't for the show. Apart from his PS, which I'm going to read out. Dave says, I actually watched Smallville for every series, and I didn't dip in and out of it. I kept with it. Not saying every episode was perfect, but I enjoyed it enough. Oh, and I had read Superman comics prior to watching it, so the... In reference to what was probably an off-handed comment in the last episode, you've probably completely forgotten about. <laughs> yeah. No, I've not forgotten about it. Okay. We basically said something like Smallville around for ten years, so it must have some merit. Yeah. And it does have merit. Okay. I submit to you, Erica Durant's as Lois Lane. Okay. There you go. If not the best live-action Lois Lane, certainly up there. Okay. For me, she's up there with Phyllis Coates. That's my favourite live-action Lois Lane. I, I, am, I admire your fortitude, Dev. Yeah. Seven, seven that's, that's seasons? Rather ten seasons, isn't it? Ten seasons of Smallville, and he watched every episode. That's patience no man could know. Yes. I, 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 I doff my cap to thee. If I had a cap. I do. I've got me Indiana Jones fedora. Okay. And I wear it regularly. Do you? Yeah. You've got to work in it. I want a black one for Halloween so I can go as the shadow. Okay. That's it for that. emails. Diana Redscarf, yeah. That's it for emails this week. Thank you very much. Everyone who emails in, continue to do so. Because this section of the show doesn't exist without you. And the episodes will be 26 minutes shorter. Yep. Or thereabouts. A lot of people will enjoy it that way. And nobody has completely said the email section sucks. Just that last It bit went on a bit, bit too long, yeah. Uh, after the break, we'll be right back with Maximum Carnage Part 3. Red alert! All hands to battle stations! Engage! Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he? Interesting. No redeeming qualities. I think you should be destroyed. The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to Earth. Go back. Thou shalt most certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain, within destroying. We are dangerous. What can I offer except myself? Why do you have to be No! 
correctly. We're through running from these bastards. Perhaps today is a good day to die. Star Trek Monthly Monday. Covering every episode of The Next Generation in order from the beginning on the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Funness. I don't think we've ever covered something where we both agreed that it wasn't really very good. Yeah, we've had, we've had, no, we haven't. We've had things that you thought were good and I thought were a bit iffy, and things that I thought were good that you thought were a bit iffy. But we've never had something where we both covered it and thought, actually, this is a bit cack, isn't it? Secret Wars. I see. I love Secret Wars. I mean, I freely admit it's through the 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 glow gl- the what? The hazy glow of nostalgia. But I do like Secret Wars, even though we ripped the mick out of it. The Spider-Man um, 70s TV show. I still have a soft spot for it, simply because I, it, it was the only game in town when I was 10. Maximum Carnage. Isn't that what I just... Anyway, chapter 10 of Maximum Return of Carnage. Jedi. <laughs> Return of Jedi's great! Get out! Okay. Maximum Carnage Part 10 appeared in Web of Spider-Man 103. Published with an August 1993 cover date, but actually available to your hot little hands on June 1st, 1993. The cover is again by Alex Saviuk and again has Carnage attacking Spider-Man. Carnage looks great. However, throwing off the composition, Venom is in the background doing what looks like a little pirouette, like he's auditioning for Strictly Come Dancing. Which took place the question, what does Strictly or Dancing with the Stars, as I believe it's called in the US, look like in the Marvel Universe? Do they have B-list superheroes and reformed villains on the show? They have Dazzler. Do they? Mm-hmm. Well, every week, Dazzler will be one of the dancers, won't yeah. she? She won't be a guest. Would it be a real coup for them if Sue Richards was to appear? 
or She-Hulk. Can you imagine Crave Rebel Harwood marking carnage down in his two-step yes. and then the symbiote putting a spear through his head on live television? Everyone applauses. That would be awesome. A standing ovation all around. Maybe I'd give him a facial expression. Maybe. Anyway, this issue was called Sin City. It was written by Terry Kavanagh, penciled by Alex Saviuk, and inked by Don Hudson. Some other people did some other stuff, like uh, Steve Dutrow lettered, Bob Sharon coloured, Rob Toker edited, Danny Fingeroth was the group editor, and Tom DeFalco was the editor-in-chief. Responding to the alarm in the Baxter building, Cap takes Firestar and Spider-Man to Avengers HQ, which doesn't seem to be Avengers Mansion at this point, and they talk Technobabble and learn that Deathlock and Iron Fist are in the Avengers system, trying to find out any data about Carnage and crew. They all arrange to team up, but not until after Spider-Man has gone all the way home to CMJ. Well, at least he's thinking about it now. Morbius, Cloak and Black Cat arrive at a scene of devastation too late, but Carrion, the doppelgangbanger and Demogoblin have waited to greet them whilst at the Statue of Liberty Shriek and Carnage have lit a fire under Venom. Literally. He's all strung up above an open flame and, you know, Squeal, little piggy, squeal! Back at MJ and Peter's Soho loft, Peter arrives to a big hug and some TLC. MJ tries to talk about the marriage, but the expositional news network, CMMB, interrupts again with news of the local police precinct house being taken over by the inmates, and Peter swings back out into danger. He arrives at precinct house and makes short work of the perps. Meanwhile, the fight goes badly for Cloak, the Black Cat and Morbius, with Carrion and Doppelgangbanger and Demogoblin gaining the upper hand, so Spawn shows up! Yes, Spawn! I didn't know this was an intercompany crossover as well. Anyway, Spawn rescues Cat from certain death and enters the fray himself. They have Carrion, the doppelgangbanger, and Demogoblin on the ropes, and the villains flee with Morbius and Spawn following them. Cloak and Black Cat decide they've had enough and go home. No, really. As dawn breaks, Spidey regroups with Cap, Deathlock, Iron Fist, and Firestar, and they head back out into the city. Oh, where to begin with this one? I do like Spawn, though. Do you? Yeah. What, genuinely? Because it's Spawn. It is Spawn, it, isn't yeah. it? It's, I don't care what satanic name they've got him in this comic. It's, it's Spawn. Page one. So, so Todd McFarlane will sue any writer who ever worked on the Spawn, but he won't sue Marvel for this. I presume it's close enough not to Spawn that it doesn't spawn a, a, a lawsuit. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> just see what I did there. I saw you did. Page one. It's finally dawned on me what I'm not enjoying about Web of Spider-Man. Apart from Kavanaugh's writing, yeah. obviously. Because um, that continues to be overblown and overwrought. It's the art. And it's not Alex Saviuk. Yeah. Do you not think the inking's really heavy and black? Just in this comic. And has been throughout the three issues that... Or however many issues this has been. I don't know, I don't know if it's the inking, but... I, I don't like this art, really. Do you not like Alex Saviuk at all? I, I don't... It's, he's not the best of the lot. No, I think he's a very decent draftsman with a, a clean style, but I do find... I think the inking is very heavy-handed in this issue. I mean, I think... Because if you look on the double-page spread on page two and three, he draws a really good Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, I think... I think you're right. It suffers compared to Tom Lyle and Matt Bagley. Yeah. who have a very clean art style and thin lines it really stands out the thicker black lines in this one and I don't think it's necessarily in a good way but I like Saviuk's art He's not. he doesn't cut any corners or anything hmm. I just don't know that Don Hudson's it's like he inks it with a felt tip yeah I mean maybe he does I don't know 
It was the 90s, they didn't have much for uh, inking and colouring. Yeah, that's true. Well, in the 90s is <laughs> when they first started experimenting with different colour schemes and paper and all of that. No, it was the 80s they started out, wasn't it, with Baxter formats and stuff like that. Yeah. Page 2-3, another way this stands out, Splash has the carnage collective massacring people in New York. On screen, they're all watching it on TV, live, not actually going as it happens. Yeah, no, they all just stand around the Avengers HQ watching the news and wondering where Carnage is. And this is Captain America, he's a registered superhero. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't make much sense, doesn't it? The story's done an awful lot of, we found Carnage! Oh, but he got away. Oh, where's he gone? We found Carnage! Oh, but he got away. Where's he gone? At least Blackest Night wasn't <coughs> as subtle with its repetitiveness. Mm, yeah... Yeah, it's getting a bit old now, isn't it? Yeah. Page four. I do love how Spider-Man lifts his costume up to show off his bandages. To show, look, I've got sore ribs. Yeah. I can't do it. I've got to go home. Yeah. Doctor's note. Is it just in case people didn't believe him? Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do prefer that than him having the bandages over his costume. Hmm. Like they used to do in 50s and 60s comics. Did they? Yes. Batman would be hurt and he would bandage over his costume. Scott and Mike have took the mick out of that Justice Society quite a, Tales of the JSA quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very, very funny. Uh, page five. You're smart and down with the kids. Uh, okay. What with you being a kid? I'm not down with the kids. I know. Does any of this techno babble that Firestar and Cap and Spidey spout when they spot Deathlock and Iron Fist poking around the computer system make sense? Cyberspace Invader. Yeah, and then Firestar says, The bug in the system's already wormed its way past your automated safeguards, but a manual override security lock will effectively trap the signal link within the Avengers file program. And then Spidey comes in, and if I generate a proper counterpulse, we should be able to backtrace the source of the trespassing transmission. Yeah, it's, you learn that in ICT, it's like... I get what he was doing, yeah. but he, he didn't actually use proper computer speak jargon there, did he? Yeah. Do you think he just made that up? F3, turn off, turn on again. <laughs> have, you, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? <laughs> oh, I liked the it crap. Page 6, Spider-Man says, Rooftop rendezvous at 5, Cap. I presume he means 5am, because yeah. he just bails out, doesn't he? Mm. So they've just been watching all of that on TV. All that carnage and destruction. Yeah. But they're going to have the afternoon off and go and have a nap before oh, yeah. the group at five o'clock Maybe in the morning. How that work? Doing nothing and being inefficient. <laughs> um, in contrast to the last issue, where the fights... See, look at the inking the, on that goes, page. It goes darker there. Page 10's heavy. very heavily inked. In contrast to the last issue, where the fight scenes were complemented by exceptional layouts, good pacing and snappy writing, the only thing that stopped me falling asleep during the fights in this issue was an appearance by Spawn! Yeah. The fights in this issue are all retreads of what we've seen before. Ooh, Carrion can't touch us. Ooh, Cloak's Cloak doesn't work on the Demo Goblin. Ooh, Morbius is a hero or villain. Ooh, look, Black Cat's been hurt again. <sighs> I'm being pithy. Spawn isn't actually Spawn. No. He's a character called Night Watch, who I knew nothing about. That's a Russian film. Yes, it is. Yeah. And Daywatch. Um, I knew nothing. Did you know anything about this guy? He looked like Spawn. He could have been Spawn. He could have been Spawn for all I knew. Yeah. Uh, his backstory is quite interesting. Apparently, he's Kevin Trench, who sees Night Watch die, takes off his mask, and it's revealed to be Kevin Trench. So. He then tries to stop this from ever happening. 
the fact that he doesn't make the cover in the series that would put anybody on the cover implies he wasn't a big draw. Mm. But I was quite intrigued by that backstory. Okay. That the series began with his own death. Yeah. So I was quite intrigued by that. That being said, all the fight scenes being quite tedious, there is actually a pretty a good bit of this book at the back end that I did enjoy. In that it was really quite fun seeing Spider-Man take out the simple precinct house takeover and very reminiscent of Lee Ramita. I wish they'd spent more time on this than just three pages. Mm. He, he comes in, he rocks up, goes in this police precinct, beats them all up and leaves. He's working <coughs> to the fist? Yeah, it just felt like we've got to keep Spider-Man out of the issue, didn't it? Mm. Because if we, if like we have him... Spider-Man out of his own series. Yeah, if we have him meet Carnage now, then... ooh. Story's over. We can't have that. Maybe we can re- four issues. Maybe we can repeat the previous facts again. Yeah, well, that's what they did. You're going to sit there and go, cut, paste, cut, paste. <laughs> With the script. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's more of the same. As Michael says, Kavanaugh is still my least favourite writer in the series, barely bringing anything to note to the story beyond moving the characters from where they were to where they want to be. Spider-Man is still terrible at being a husband. And the best scenes of the comic are where Carnage and Shriek are torturing Venom, because at least they feel necessary to the overall story. Um, the ads are a bit dull again. There's a two-page hot comics ad, mostly celebrating the X-Men's 30th birthday, isn't it? And free Magneto Zero. And a free Magneto Zero. I don't know what that With was. tiny arms. Um, I think they just did a funny angle. It looks very ghibli. Yeah, free Magneto Zero if you buy X-Men 24, X-Force 26, X-Factor 94, Cable 5, and Wolverine 73. I don't have any of that. It was that bad you couldn't, you know, it was free. It's like, please, just, we'll pay you to take it we'll off We'll pay us. you to take it away from us. Uh, there doesn't even seem like there's any interesting cover enhancements in this, does there? No. There's a premium blowout. Yeah, I bet there Which is. was a sign I saw outside the brothel when I passed it the other week. Um, oh yeah, there's a limited platinum edition of Aliens. But you walked past a brothel. No, it was a joke. <laughs> was comedy, gonna, comedy joke. I was going to say, apart from somewhere in Manchester, where are you going to... Manchester, bad for it. Um, Batman 492 has a, has a limited one, which was the first issue of Nightfall. So there's only one of them ever published? No, no, there's, you're only allowed to buy one. Oh, right. Which has happened quite recently with Batman 13. Yeah, I was quite impressed that the place I buy my comics from off eBay, the new place, has um, put a limit on you buying Batman 13. You can only buy one copy. Have you got a copy? I've ordered it. I've no idea it's not arrived yet. Uh, Darker Image has a silver logo. Death number one is a limited platinum. One hundred dollars. Is that death number one? The death number one I'm thinking of. I presume so. Limited ash can of death blow. Limited yeah. sand away of Harbinger. What the hell was sand away? So they put glue all over the cover. And oh, send away! <laughs> so you must have to send for it. <laughs> I was thinking it comes with a free sanding block. Yeah. <laughs> you have to scratch off the cover to see what's underneath it. The, a homage swimsuit edition. Okay. I don't know what that is. A gold logo issue of Magnus, a glow in the dark issue of Max. Rye, gold logo, I can't be bothered reading all of that, to be honest with you. It's not one of the better ones, that, is it? The bullpen bulletins page talks of a visit by Foreigner. Hot-blooded. Yes, not the assassin from Spider-Man comics, oh, okay. but the band. Um, oh, right, so I was right. You were absolutely correct. Yeah. And the return of mighty Flo Steinberg, who was Stan Lee's right-hand gal in the 60s. Okay. which was quite good 
Carnage kill count? Um, Two. There's no way of knowing exactly how many Carnage killed on the way to the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. But there's three on-panel deaths on the splash page. So we're just going to go with a very conservative three. He's, he's not so good anymore. He's, he's not really pulling all the stops out since we... Uh, he's not unnecessarily shooting the guy through his newspaper. No, for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Other than this issue needs a death. Amazing Spider-Man 380 housed Maximum Carnage Part 11, Soldiers of Hope, which was written by David Michelini, penciled by Mark Bagler, inked by Randy Emberley, lettered by Rick Parker, coloured by Bob Sharon, and edited by Danny Fingeroff. Tom D was editor-in-chief. The Carnage, the Carnage has cover. Symbolically capturing Spider-Man, Deathlock, Venom, Iron Fist, and Captain America in his symbiotic grip. It's it's a good cover, that one. Yes. I like that one. Very eye-catching. Make sure you want to read the issue. Could have been done by anyone, but it's, it's good because it's Bagley. It's good because it's Bags. And like I've said before, for all our criticisms of Carnage, he does look like a really cool character to draw. Yeah. And that cover's really, really good. We're, we're, we're wholeheartedly endorsing it. From the Bagman. Yeah, from the Bagster. Again, it's an August cover date, but it dropped on June the 8th. Mortal Kombat. Fight! Yes, there's an advert for Mortal Kombat on the internet. Are you, you going to do the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, probably could. That would be very amusing. Yeah. Uh, this story, Carnage continues to torture Venom whilst Carrion watches. Wait a minute, Carrion? Wasn't wasn't that Shriek in the very last issue? Yeah. Where has she gone? Um, well, she's mad at her husband for... Um, Husband? Saving the day, so she's gone out partying and flirting with <laughs> a hunky man. Alright, fair enough, I'll go with that. Anyway, Do- Demo Goblin and Doppelgangbanger are hurled through a window at the top of the Statue of Liberty with Morbius and Spawn in hot pursuit. <laughs> hot pursuit! Them dukes, them dukes! Carnage just watches and lets Demo and Doppel be attacked, but Spawn has to take Morbius away as dawn rises. I'm not understanding how Spawn and Morbius could find Carnage, but Spider-Man, Cap, Deathlock, Firestar and Iron Fist are having problems. Nevertheless, they continue the search, finding Shriek expelling her funny pheromone things to great effect, causing chaos across New York. After a fight, Cap takes Shriek down and they start to get through to people. Spidey stops a woman from throwing her kids off a roof and realising he was completely justified in leaving his wife alone in a city of nutters because Cap or anyone else could not possibly have saved them. Only Spider-Man. What else? Demogoblin chides Carnage for not getting involved, but he blows them off and tells them to go and find Mummy. They do, and free her, so we get another fight. In the subplot, we learn that Mary Jane agrees that Peter was right in doing what he did. Uh, Cloak just knows. He just knows. He's got a feeling in his water that the church is somehow the key to defeating Carnage, so he needs to hang around there moping instead of, you know, joining the fight. Listen and Black to Cat, Joy Division. Listening to Joy Division. And Morrison. Uh, and Black Cat feels bad about being injured. Back outside, it's a scene reminiscent of Spider-Man 2. All the people Cap and Co have rescued turn against Shriek, but she pumps up the volume and turns all the onlookers against our heroes. Well, Mary Parker in this shows up for the very first time ever since part one. So I wonder what she's been doing the entire time, just beating some passerby and like... Like, what's this face? Yeah, because of Shriek's pheromones. Yeah. She's just been going there. Peter, I don't like the idea of block a one. Well, that's what Peter's dad was doing. Yeah. So, maybe that runs in the family. Maybe. Um, Cap and Co are looking for Carnage and Shriek. 
Morbius and Spawn know where Carnage is. Yeah. Okay? You follow the labyrinthine nature of this plot. Oh, yes. They quit the fight, but then Spawn doesn't think to go and tell Cap and Co where Carnage is. No. Right. Well, why would they? I mean, if they do... If they did that, the story would end. Exactly. And we don't want that, do we? That quite, yeah, I mean, Mattel haven't published the action figures yet. <laughs> the game's not come out. No, no. <laughs> um, I really didn't buy the scene where the heroes turn it all around at all. Because we got absolutely no setup for it. Granted, we got no setup for Shriek doing this in the first place, so I suppose it fitted. But it's all just so lazily plotted. To jack up the tension, let's turn New York into a cesspit of despair. But now we just need that story to stop. And Michelini's a very, very good and competent comic book writer, but he just doesn't seem to care enough to make it feel organic, does he? Yeah. It's like Captain America shows up and stops a guy throwing a brick through a window by stirring at it. And then Firestar shows up and they look at her and see the light, literally. Yeah. And then Deathlock threatens somebody. Like looking I at that was it. Hilarious for his um uh ten megs of RAM yeah. and eighty megs mega drive. Why shouldn't I take it? Is the computer that he's stealing and Deathlock stops him. And then Iron Fist just stirs at somebody who coincidentally is beating people up with nunchucks. Well, who who goes out in the middle of Manhattan wearing complete karate robes with two nunchucks? Maybe he was just on his way to karate class. With these nunchucks with, with him. These nunchucks with these nunchucks with him. with the nunchucks? Maybe he was the instructor, and they were the nunchucks that he provided hey, to people. Why would he not keep the nunchucks at the karate place? I can't believe I'm defending this storyline. <laughs> <laughs> um, meh. Best sums up my feelings on this issue. What about you? Um, I have no opinion, really. Um, no, I, I don't have a lot of page-by-page notes on this one because there's not really a lot to say Bagley's art's great yeah but Michelini Iron Fist looks funny though does he do you not yeah. think Iron Fist looks like he should look his eyes are on his mask especially when, see that's fine though yeah because he's got no pupils or anything but back a few pages where um, he's given pupils. oh yeah suddenly he's got pupils through his art and yeah. he's at his mask which he hasn't on any other page I assume there's an artistic reason for that I don't know what it was um, Michelini just seems constricted by the limitations of the storyline and absolutely nothing moves forward in this issue at all. The issue ends in exactly the same place that the last issue ended. Which isn't the first time that it's happened in this story, is it? The hero saved the day, but then, oh no, oh, no, no they've guys not. turned bad guys again. Oh no, they didn't. Oh, oh yes, yes, they, they did. did. What was that guy in a dress? Oh, he's got nunchucks as well. <laughs> the carnage kill count for this issue zero. Carnage Zilch. is really. Nada. Zip. He's not good, is he? We're moving on to minimum carnage. <laughs> uh, carnage kills absolutely no one in this issue. Uh, Ad-wise, there's the same two-page hot comics ad that was in the last issue, and the lettuce page makes a comeback, which I thought was quite nice, since it's been AWOL throughout the majority of this storyline. The story continued, onward, ever onward, in Spider-Man 37. Onward, but never actually progressing. Uh, I think it starts progressing a little bit around about now, doesn't it? Mm. A little bit. Now we're on page 12, we get the, the, 
the uh, part we should have got. Yes, sorry. in issue part two. Yeah. Yeah, I like that Venom's in the corner box on this one. So hi guys, I'm gonna eat your brains. I'm gonna eat your brains, little fishies! Which I thought was quite funny. Um, yes, this is chapter 12 for people keeping count. The only thing I have to say about the cover, which is okay... Spidey's head's too big and his fingers are too small. And when, when does his web shatter? Yeah. Since when does that happen? His web's not hard, is it? I presume. So how does he make his shield out of it though? It makes a shield just out of the pure thickness of it. Yeah. Like well, mesh. There it looks like a plate. But though, Carnage just shattered it. Yeah. Like it is actually a, a shield. Mm. It doesn't really work, does it? No. I wouldn't have found Maybe it. Captain America's given him a shield and they've painted it all weather. You know the best thing about this issue? Yeah. It came out on June 15th, 1993. Okay. What's special about June 15th, Michael? Hey! <laughs> well done. This was my 21st birthday. Was it? Well, yeah. What a great present this June was. June 15th, 1993 <laughs> was my 21st birthday. What have I been doing when I was 21? Do you know I have no recollection? Mm. Can't remember. Probably went out for a few beers with Phil and Paul and Scott and Simon. That's so pretty much how I spend every birthday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Light is the title of the issue and it was written by James DeMatteis with that by Tom Lyle and the rest of the stuff is by teams Hannah and Milgram inked Parker and Rosen lettered Tinsley and Moran coloured Simon and Simon were private detectives Starsky and Hutch were plainclothes cops and Franklin and Bash are lawyers no really who would have thought Zach Morris would have had a career 20 years on I would never have thought that once you'd saved by the bell when I was your age okay more than anything else I think that's proof of devil worship Okay. That John Paul Gosselaar still has a career. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? No. Oh, anyway, Finger Off and DeFalco did the various editing shows. The Expositional News Network! Trademark Michael Bailey. You know, if he got money every time somebody mentioned that, he'd made a fortune out of this one, wouldn't he? Yeah. Brings new readers, and readers with short attention spans, up to date with regards to recent developments. Watching the news, Richard Parker goes all emo in everybody's ass until MJ opens up a can of SHUT THE UP on it. Over at the Statue of Liberty, Venom fakes out Carnage by slipping some of his symbiote into the sonic blaster and busting loose. Too weak for a prolonged fight, Venom takes his leave. Because if he'd had a prolonged fight here, the story would be over. Meanwhile, Shriek controls the crowd to do her bidding, my master, and her bidding is kill. Spidey, Cap, Deathlock, Firestar and Iron Fist try to get through the crowd without hurting them to stop Shriek. Please have her, don't hurt him. Carnage arrives and starts beating on Shriek, saying she should be in the kitchen cooking and not out killing his prey. Go make my tea, woman! This division within the ranks causes the heroes to be able to push forwards and evacuate the streets. With the gang all here, they prepare to go mano a mano with the Carnage Collective, but the darkness that threatens to engulf them all is shattered by the arrival of Cloak and Dagger. <gasps> but, 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 Dagger's dead! Dead. Surely, the changes that didn't work, did it? No, she's quite alive, but we thought she was dead. Well, we just... never thought she was dead, did we? No. Page one is hysterical. Inadvertently, Cap smacks a guy in the face with his shield. Yep. <laughs> Come on, that was funny. Accidentally. Oh, no, I don't think he did it accidentally. Yeah. I think Captain America's had enough of the your crap, and he's punching everybody out with his shield. <laughs> it did amuse me. Page three. 
Has Richard Parker always been this little mope? Or is this the effect of Shriek's bullcrap pheromones? And when did he start turning into Reed Richards with the Grey Temples? Yeah. Has he always had them? And I've just been too wrapped up in myself to notice. So you've been too wrapped up in yourself to notice as well? So I've not been paying much attention to Maximum Carnage. Um, you can't say that. I've done loads of research for this. Whoa. I've even looked at the game on YouTube. I've read it. <laughs> That's the best you can yeah. hope for. The best I could hope for is it that you've read it. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. I mean, at least I read it on time. Page five. Yeah. Uh, I liked this, actually, because very cleverly, Venom sabotaging the Sonic Blaster is, is subtly subtle. Subtly. Yeah. yeah. Subtle. So it's not just a... Lucky deus ex. No, no, it's actually set up there. Yeah. Subtle is not a word you would normally apply when talking about maximum carnage. But, but in that, that case, is. I thought that was actually very well done. Because it is quite clear, though, that he's doing something with the Sonic Blaster and Carnage is too much of a, a twonk to... Well, you see, to I, I, I missed him messing up the gun because I was too busy focusing on that mullet. Yes, he's still got his mullet. I do have a question for you. Yeah? According to this, Venom was nothing under his, his symbiote. Yes. We can quite clearly see, though, that he's wearing no underwear. Mm-hmm. When he collapsed at Peter and Mary Jane's house, he had tighty-whities on. Where have they gone? Or do I just not want to know? You don't want to know. Okay, so when the simio gets hungry. <laughs> he eats his pants. Yeah. Full of stains and... Eddie Brock's an older Cliff Baker. He is, isn't he? Yeah. With the bad hair and the flat head. He is a Cliff Baker. Barker? Baker? Baker. Buddy Baker. Yes, you're absolutely right. Page eight. I have to give credit where it's due. Venom's escape here was actually pretty good. Carnage turns into a whimpering child, just like he did when he was threatened with the removal of the symbiote, which was a nice piece of characterisation. Carnage has vacillated in his story, with many of the writers being far too tempted to have Carnage spout witty lines, and thus forgetting he was depicted in his origins as being an uneducated redneck. It's very easy to make Carnage witty and clever in his retort, but he really wouldn't be that smart, would he? I don't think. But I did, I credit where it's due, Venom escaping here was really good, and I like that he just socks Carnage. Yeah. Right in a face, which is what we like. Page 13. Iron Fist reaches into the force to get the crowd no, I to fa- come I, down. I found this absolutely hilarious where he just silently stood in front of him and they all calmed down. There's some guy just shows up behind him and punches him. Yeah, he's just like, you don't need to sell me death sticks. Yeah. You want to go home and rethink your life. And then some pimp comes over and I don't tell him what to do. <laughs> you working on my territory, my death sticks. <laughs> These death sticks pay for my mom's medical, man. The death stick supplier. He's a death stick supplier. <laughs> um, page 17. Uh, Spider-Man is put down by Iron Fist, who was saying that his use of the force to be able to calm everyone down is only something they could teach him in eight to ten years. And he takes his frustrations out on a chimney. Yeah. It just happens to, to be on the roof. And then he goes through, it's all hopeless, my father was right. Wait a minute. What does he realise? What's his big realisation, though? Because I went to the next episode and then went back and forth. And then, what's, what? I, don't, I, didn't, I don't see what he realises, though. Because he doesn't do anything with it in this issue. Unless he realises his dad is wrong and that pushes him to carry on fighting. I mean... Or is that just... Is it set up for the next issue where he sends them all away to build the love machine? It could be. But that's the, they don't really do anything with it, do they? No. 
if it's if it is that that is quite a subtle piece of writing that you as the reader are supposed to put together mm-hmm. I'm not willing to give them that much credit yeah. I think that was just a, a moment you've already to, had the one bit of subtle yeah you've had the one <laughs> moment of subtlety um, well I mean this one was written by written by De Mateus, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, this one was written by De Mateus, so it is entirely possible that was a subtle nod to how he is ultimately going to solve this with a deus ex mechina. Yeah. Which was terrible, wasn't it? But we've not got that yet. We will in a minute. Uh, and then you get to the last page, and Dagger was inside Cloak all along. Which is only so... It's only wrong if you think about it. No, 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 it's perfectly fine. Would you prefer Cloak was inside Dagger? I Have they done a triple X version of that yet? Probably not, but that would make more sense than Dagger was inside Cloak. Yeah, well, well she was just hidden in his cloak. Unless there's so much darkness going on in that cloak that we would go mad we turn into Shriek then. Yeah, if, uh, you know. Um, actually, the scene where Carnage abuses Shriek was actually quite uncomfortable. Because this is the kind of thing De Mateus excels at, bringing out these kind of psychological underpinnings to characters. He does it quite a lot. Shriek's had a few throwaway lines of dialogue, indicating she had a very troubled and abusive past, but all of this was just thrown away in favour of repetitive fight scenes. If any of the characters in your story, and I don't just mean the villains, the, the heroes are lacking in this as well, if any of them had been given anything resembling motivation or depth, this story may have had some impact beyond the superficial, but they didn't. Mm. I'm sorry to say. Uh, as an issue, it's still mediocre, elevated to acceptable mediocrity by the sheer force of DeMatteis' skill as a writer and Tom Lyle's pretty art. The final page of Cloak and Dagger is particularly well done art-wise, and it does at least feel like the story is progressing, albeit in small increments, given that we're, we're really not, not much further along than we were back in Chapter 3, Yeah. to be brutally honest. But we're getting along slowly. Very, very slowly. Uh, there's a good ad for Batman Returns on the Super Nintendo, which is a pretty good two-page splash piece of ad work, and a two-page ETM Hot Comics ad, which is slightly different oh, yeah. to the one in the other one. Deep Space Nine is apparently going to be red hot. Is it? According to this. Does Deep Space Nine not crap? No, Deep Space Nine's good. I like Deep Space Nine. It's a very good science fiction television series. But not a Star Trek. Not often a very good Star Trek series, yeah. but a very good science fiction series. What are the mega hits, Mike? Aliens vs. Predator 2. Okay. I think we have recovered all of this before. Daredevil Man Without Fear, Doctor Mirage, which I've never heard of, Hero Illustrated, She-Bat vs. Spawn. Well, Night's Quest is advertised, so we might have done this then. Yeah, we might have done this in the Night's Quest issues. I just don't ever remember mentioning... Um, Deep Space Nine. X-Men 2099 has a stunning foil stamped cover and it's hot! So watch your hands. There's a chromium cover on Superman 82. But the real Superman is revealed. Don't you have that? Yeah. I don't think I've got the chromium cover. Uh, the Ultraverse launches Prime, Prototype, The Strangers, Mantra. No, it's not just Prime, it's Prime it's Prime. It's Prime Prime. And it's the... not just Mantra, it's Mantra, Mantra, Sonic, Mantra, Mantra. <laughs> It's as if you say so. Um, no, I, I, I think we've done them before, haven't we? To be honest with you. Carnage kill count for this issue. He smacks Shriek about a bit, and Doppelganger gives him a good kick in, but he doesn't kill anyone. Again. So that's another zero. He's meandering towards yeah. the finish line, isn't he? 
He started off so he good. He started off so strong. Something inside so strong. That's a cool cover. It is indeed, yes. Our next chapter, Spectacular Spider-Man 203, features the penultimate chapter of Maximum Carnage, the 13th, for those of you keeping count. Unlucky for some, probably the readers. Uh, the cover, as Michael just said, is fantastic. It's simply a close-up of Carnage's grim visage by Sal Buscema. Um, I've said it before, I've even said it in this issue, the only reason I can think of for Carnage popularity is purely the visual, which is wonderfully creepy. Again, an August cover date, but released on the 22nd of June, 1993. It's, it's like those, you know in DC, when through the days of doing... he just did covers yeah. that faces on. It is one of the, it is, it's one of the best covers of the entire 14-issue run, that. Mm. Really, really good. Very impressive. But so simplistic as well. Yeah. So simple. Sorry, not simplistic. Very, 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 very good work, Mr. Buscema. War of the Heart was written by James Mateus. The burning heart. Ooh, just about to burst. There's a quest for answers and a quenchable thirst. Rising like a spire. The burning heart. In the burning heart. The unshakable desire. Yeah. Rocky Balboa was on the other night. I, I used to know all those words, actually. I watched Rocky Balboa again. Did you? Yeah, it's very good. I like Rocky Balboa. Okay. It's about being hit. It's about how hard you can be hit. how hard you can be hit and get back up. Yeah. Which, you know, is quite profound. <laughs> From, uh, I thought. <laughs> to be honest with you, I thoroughly enjoyed Rocky Balboa. Anyway. We were not talking, we're not a Rocky podcast. Although no. I frequently think maybe we should do a Rocky podcast. There'd only be six of them. That doesn't matter. Be a mini series, podcast mini series on the Rocky films. Hey Kids Rocky. Hey Kids Does Rocky. Well. Well, <laughs> not, not quite like that. Um, also, if this was called Faith of the Heart, we could have had an Enterprise sing along. Okay. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long road trying to tell It's been a long time. Trying to get to the end of Maximum Carnage. I've lost faith in the Spider-Man writing team. (laughs) (laughs) They're dragging this on too far. I've lost faith of my heart. Uh, We're just making this bollocks up now. (laughs) Um, Thankfully, we were spurred the Enterprise sing-along. God, that was an awful theme, wasn't it? Mm. As Dagger demonstrates that the sun really does shine out of her behind. I mean, look at that. Yeah. Shriek, never the poster child for sanity, starts humming Green Day tunes. I think I'm cracking up. Okay. Yeah, I think. I don't know. Okay. Well, then. Whilst Dagger exposits about how she survived, blah, blah, became light, blah, blah, couldn't contain it, blah, blah, explosion, blah, blah, cloak pulled her back together. What? Anyway, Shriek attacks, and the real reason Dagger was taken out of the story becomes apparent as she takes Shriek down really quite easily and fills her with forgiveness. Shriek doesn't want forgiveness. She craves death. And Spider-Man swings in and saves Dagger's shapely ass as Shriek lashes out. Dagger's selflessness drives Spidey, and as Carnage spins around to tackle the heroes, he finds only Spider-Man stood there. As it always should have been, says the wall crawler. After a really rather good fight, see, Carnage pounds on Spider-Man and orders Shriek to hit him with the full brunt of her psychic blasts. As Spidey is at his lowest ebb, Shriek is hit by the blast of an Alpha Magnet Illuminizer attached to Deathlock that all the other heroes, Cap, Firestar, Cloak and Dagger and Iron Fist, have whipped up at a nearby Rand Corporation. 
The machine causes an amplification of the brains, calming alpha waves, overriding the darkness, and even curing carrion. Demogoblin breaks free, but Spider-Man prevents him from leaving, as the combined might of Deathlock, Iron Fist, and Dagger continue to imbue the adversaries with the power of love. Well, it didn't take money, and it did. It took a little bit of fame. But they didn't use a credit card. To drive this train. <laughs> oh, that's the power of love. Carnage, unable to accept such a thing, fights back but causes a psychic feedback and the resultant explosion claims his life. <gasps> but there's a chapter left! Oh no. As the sun sets over Central Park, Spidey bemoans Carnage's death. Because... <laughs> Uh, as Venom approaches. He blames Spider-Man for everything, including him not getting his revenge on Carnage. But wouldn't you know it, Carnage rises up from Central Park Lake. It's like Jason in the Friday the 13th movies, isn't he? Yeah. Takes a lick in, but keeps on ticking. Um, this is the part where the bad guy's gonna pull one less skirt. Ah! Grr. Uh, page two. In comparison to the Tom Lyle depiction of Dagger, Sal Buscema draws her with a bit more meat on her bones, doesn't he? Yeah. Bit chunkier of thigh and waist. Mm-hmm. Well, that's alright. No, no, not a problem with that. I like a boof on her in this one as well. Yeah. She's got a farrow her. Page nine is a lovely little splash page of Spider Man. Really is a good one page splash of Sal Buscema showing Spider Man rising up to his full height and announcing his dignity. Um, and pages 10 through 13, credit where credit's due, as I said in the synopsis, is a really rather excellent fight scene. Until we get to. Jack Kirby. Until we get... Well, it's not even Kirby Tech. It, it's Kirby S. It's Kirby S, but I wouldn't say it was Kirby Tech. Um, mentioning Leo Buscaglia does set up the ending, I suppose, on page 13. He was Dr. Love. Okay. If you didn't remember. I don't um, remember. But page 14, it kind of fell to bits for me. Yeah. This makes no sense. Why did it take everybody... But Spider-Man, the only scientist in the group, yeah, to make the love machine. Why did they leave him alone? What? This is Spider-Man's book, and he's done bugger all for thirteen this issues. Is Spider-Man's so. fight to that honor, but it's respect. It's, it's not been Spider-Man's fight for twelve issues at this point. This fight needs to make his fight. It was really a mixed bag, wasn't it? Yeah. On the one hand, very biased mixed bag. In what way? Well, it was biasedly bad. I don't, I don't think you're using the word biased in the proper <laughs> proper context, though. Um, on the one hand, Di Matteis once again shows that in the hands of a talented writer, even the biggest piece of crap in the world can be turned into an entertaining issue. The pacing for the first half is really good, and once again, he and Buscema deliver the goods on the action seats. And then we get the hippy dippy ending, where out of nowhere, the heroes have invented a love machine that takes shrieks hatred pheromones and turns them around to amplify love over hate. You can almost hear the Santana soundtrack. Oh, dear. The power of love wins the day. It's die. 13 issues of running up and down corridors, and this was the big finish. Oh, that's how I thought the end of that Doctor Who story arc. Ramping up to the, like, the end of the Doctor, and the Master's gonna win, and then everyone goes, Doctor, and he wins because of the power of faith. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that looks good. What is this, the 60s? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, the art's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. I have no issues whatsoever with the artwork. Uh, Carnage kill count. Minus one. Because Dagger comes back to life. Yeah. So now he's in negative numbers. Is it not minus two? Because even he dies. Yeah, but he comes back to life as well. Yeah. And he doesn't kill himself. So it doesn't count as a Carnage collective kill. Unfortunately. Otherwise I would have included it. The awesome conclusion to uh-huh. Maximum Carnage, the words, not ours, <laughs> yeah. appeared in the pages of Spider-Man Unlimited number two, again with the August cover date, but actually dropping on the 29th of June 1993. The cover is by Ron Lim of Spider-Man fighting Carnage as Venom leaps in. The perspective is a bit off as Venom looks like he's leaping over Spider-Man and Carnage. Carnage is in the corner box again. Yeah. Which I thought was quite Venom looks cool. Yeah, yeah, he I does. thought Venom looked a lot cooler since you are yeah, but the art's really good, the Ron Lim artwork. But Mark Bagley draws half of it, doesn't he? And yeah. Ron Lim draws half of it. Uh, the Hatred, The Horror and The Hero Part 1 was written by Tom DeFalco with art by Mark Bagley and Sam De La Rosa, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, coloured by John Kalish and edited by Danny Fingeroff. For some reason, at page 14, it becomes The Hatred, The Horror and The Hero Part 2 with exactly the same creative team, except Ron Lim and Jim Sanders III take over as artists. Mm. I didn't get that, did you? Didn't understand that at all. Maybe they split in two. Maybe Bagley couldn't finish it, or maybe Ron Lim couldn't start it. Yeah. I don't know. It's a quarterly book, though, but presumably they had plenty, they of, had plenty of time. Part one. Carnage leaps at Venom and Spidey leaps out of the way. Sensibly. Venom and Carnage fight as Spider-Man gives us lots of expository dialogue in his thought balloons about how Carnage could have survived and what's driving him mad. Rested, Venom owns Carnage and rips the symbiote off his body. Carnage flees like the coward he is. Venom makes to pursue, but Spider-Man tries to stop him. Venom cracks the ribs on the other side of his body, leaving Spidey to pass out in pain. Spidey wakes and heads to the emergency room, while Spawn and Morbius show up for one more pointless scene where they leave. Really, that's it. Murray Jane meets Peter at the ER with a change of clothes and their insurance details and he tells her on the way home that Carnage is still loose. At home, his family is pleased to see him and Peter and Richard Park have a little tete-a-tete. Meanwhile, Carnage is headed back to his cell. Venom follows him. Carnage flees after Venom saves a guard from being killed. Later, Peter fixes his web shooters and this time with MJ's blessing, he takes off after Venage. See what I did there? Yeah, I did see what you like that? Yeah. That's quite good there. Part 2. Carnage is on the run, terrified. He takes refuge at the Estes home for boys, cowering from the ghosts of his past. Venom drops drive for nibbles, chilled carnage brains a specialty, and kicks the snot out of him again. Cathartic though this all is, Venom talks too much and Spider-Man arrives to play Killjoy, allowing Carnage to slip away. Again. Black Cat calls MJ to see if Peter made it home okay, but he's shocked when Mary Jane says he's gone back out. She hangs up concerned, but she barely escaped with her life last time. She can't go out and help Spider-Man again. Can she? What do you think? Spidey and Venom team up, reluctantly, to find Carnage, something they wouldn't have to do if Spider-Man had interrupted the first time round. They track him back to a cemetery where he's exhuming his mum's body for a chat. Fight! During the fight, Carnage throws Spidey near Harry and Norman Osborn's graves, because of all the cemeteries in New York, Carnage's mum and Norman and Harry would be buried in the same one. Well, Harry, Norman's not dead anymore. But then again, neither's Harry now, so either post brand new day this story's ending doesn't work before Spidey can lose himself in symbolism Black Cat arrives and stops Carnage from skewering Spider-Man Carnage elects to steal Mommy Dearest's casket and run but Venom punches him in the face 
Spider-Man's words have penetrated his consciousness and he rudely tackles Carnage into the generators and everything blows up. Cat and Spidey drag Carnage's body, which seems remarkably intact for somebody in the middle of such a huge conflagration, away from the flame, but Venom has disappeared. The Avengers, having sat this whole thing out for 14 chapters, suddenly decide that now they're going to show up out of the blue and take Carnage away. Black Cat muses that monsters like that have a habit of returning as long as they sell comics, but Spidey says she should have faith. Some monsters stay dead, he says as he walks past Norman and Harry's grave. Irony! Unintentional, but still irony. And that's the end of Maximum Carnage. Is that all you've got to say? Yeah. <laughs> um, page one. E- even as a finale, it wasn't all that great, really. I liked this much more than I've liked a lot of the other chapters. because it was just one big fight, but Ooh. then again, that's what we've been complaining for for the past 13 chapters. Yeah, but this is the fight we've actually wanted to see. Yeah, until Spider-Man shows up. Until, well, Spider-Man, Venom and Carnage is what we've waited for. Yeah. Uh, page one. Barely an hour ago runs the caption box. New York was crawling with police investigators and superheroes. What? 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 Superheroes? Yeah, in the last issue, the streets were deserted so Spider-Man could come over all Dr. Love and his love yes. groove machine and defeat Carnage and Shriek. Where were these police investigators and other superheroes? Because yeah. I didn't see them. The Avengers were on the other side of New York. But they show up right at the end to take Carnage away. Yeah. How can... The scrolls. It was scrolls from the beginning, man. <laughs> um, Spidey's busted ribs, not mentioned since chapter six, yeah. suddenly start hurting again. Oh, yeah. He's like they pick and choose whenever they hurt. Like, they? Oh, oh, I have to fight Carnage. Oh, oh I've got fat ribs. What's that, MJ? You want me to uh, fix the light bulbs? Oh, man, my ribs hurt. Up. What's that, MJ? You want to go down? Okay. <laughs> Page two. Carnage fooled us all, Spidey exclaims. Wasn't difficult in this story. He must have faked his own death by covering one of his victims in a mock symbiote suit. He must have done he that. He must have done that. That's the conclusion I immediately like left to. when Spider-Man warned Cloak and Dagger that Shriek was coming down the uh, church <laughs> roof. Yes, in the space of a panel. Yeah. Um, it was incredibly lazy writing this, wasn't it? Mm. I expect much better from DeFalco. Although, to be fair, he could be papering over the cracks of somebody else's lazy writing. Maybe that should have been hinted at in the previous issue. Yeah. Because I did go back and have a look at Spectacular Spider-Man 203. And we see the huge explosion, and then Iron Fist examines Carnage's body and proclaims him dead. To be fair, whilst the symbiote suit is blown clean off, the face is still covered by the Carnage visage. But nobody checked his face. No. A paramedic didn't show up and take the body away. Oh yeah, those police inspectors. That were all around. Yeah. And nobody thought to just look at him and make sure it really was him. Why would it? It wouldn't be a final chapter. That's that's true. Also, this is all Spider-Man's supposition on how Carnage survived. Mm. It's neither confirmed or denied in the story itself. It seems to hinge on the fact that Carnage knew the heroes were all stupid. Well, so it's plausible then. Yeah. He's still hurting from the effects of the love machine, Spider-Man continues to exposit. It's driving him over the edge. If this is Carnage before he's gone over the edge, I'd hate to see him when he's genuinely insane. Because that was the pivotal turning point of the issue, wasn't it? It's Carnage turning insane. Yeah. Isn't he already insane? Whoa, maybe there's like different levels. Levels of insanity. 
He's not reached his back crap cruiser yet. He's gonna get there though. Yeah. Uh, Pitch three, credit again, the fight is pretty good. Venom kicks the snot out of Carnage in one page. If only he'd have been allowed to do this 12 chapters ago. Yeah. Uh, Carnage's cowardice is nicely played. Without his extended family to hide behind, he quickly realises he's no match for Venom and runs away. Yeah. So he is a coward after all. After all. After all. Page three, I've done that. Page four, why do we have this page with Spawn and Morbius? Um, Why is it even here? This was all dark and moody and brooding. We don't need it. It's unnecessary. It should have been cut. Okay. Page 8. Venom saves a cop saying he only kills carefully. <laughs> Tell that to the Jimmy Olsen lookalike he killed in issue 300. Yeah. Because if memory serves, he was a cop too. I'm like 90. Yeah. And page 11 was the funniest page of the issue. Did you not think? Look at those 90s makeovers. Oh yeah, I, I, I was thinking like, who, who, that, that's Thor. Yeah, well, it, it may be Thunderstrike, but he's got a ponytail and a leather jacket, which is very with nice. No with no sleeves. Oh, with no sleeves. No, 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 no. Uh, the Vision has it's had great. a colour makeover, so he's wearing different colour scheme. Black Widow now wears grey and has short hair, which I think comes from the Daredevil run with Frank Miller. Yeah. So I don't think that's and a 90s. And he's also wearing a leather jacket. But yeah, she's been added a leather jacket. Which, One of those short ones as well. Yes. Or is it... Uh, no, yeah, it's a leather jacket, isn't it? Yeah. Which is just terrible. Um, Hercules. Oh, it's Hercules. Well, I was just going to... If it is Hercules, he's stolen Black Widow's hair. Because he's got long red hair now. Well, that's where he's got... He's cut it off, though. And he's wearing armour. Yeah. Isn't he Which a god? Defeats the so that may not be Hercules. I'll, I'll give you that it may not be Hercules because it doesn't make sense is that, that Hercules was armor. Oh, is that Gladiator? That's Black Knight. Oh, right, yeah. Who is also tucked to wearing a leather jacket over his outfit because presumably New York gets cold at night. Yeah. Uh, so it makes sense. Um, and there's another woman who I don't know who also has a leather jacket on. Mm. I hope they got him on discount. Yeah. Because they're very natty leather jackets. The Leather Avengers. <laughs> Um, page 14 is a lovely Bagley splash page of Spider-Man swinging into the night. Yeah. But I'm sorry, if I was at home with somebody wearing as little as Mary Jane's were in, I wouldn't be going out looking for Venom Carnage. One of the Bagley's drawn Mary Jane, she's wearing very little. Yeah, remember that? Ooh, a bit of a sexist piggery, that. <laughs> I've avoided it for 13 chapters. Yeah. Cut me some slack. Uh, page 15 through 18, for the first time, I do actually see what people saw in Venom. He's a ruthless Terminator-esque killing machine and seeing Carnage cowering in fear from him is actually a lot of fun. I wanted Venom to rip Carnage to kibbles and bits. But Spider-Man shows up and ruins everything. As has been his want throughout this entire storyline. No, what is this Spider-Man Killington? <laughs> Spidey Killington. Yeah. The Killingtons. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. uh, at least DeFalco remembers Spider-Man's got a sense of humour and even has him mate with some quippage. Of course, Spidey's interference lets Carnage get away. Again. He doesn't even seem to realise he may be causing more deaths than he saves by keep letting him get away. Well, with Carnage recently, there's no need to... No, no, there's, there's no deaths in this one either. Um, page 20. We get a lovely gratuitous shot of Murray Jane's ass. Yep. Not seen that for a while. It's just to keep you reading. You're falling asleep at this point. Yeah. For the first time in the story, though on this same page with the gratuitous shot of Murray Jane's arse, we actually get a writer handling characterisation and with what passes for subtlety. 
The black cat's concern on this page actually felt real and genuine. She's not in Carnage and Venom's Power League. She's been hurt physically and emotionally by the past few days. DeFalco's not really a writer that's known for his subtlety, but I think despite a tendency to go for the melodramatic monologue here, he's a much better writer than people give him credit for, which I think is probably why he's still working here, because he's a solid writer who delivers on time. Page 21. I'll say this for Carnage, says Spider-Man. He's easy to follow, if only (laughs) he'd been easy to follow for the past 13 chapters. Yeah. But no, apparently. Apparently the trail of dead bodies like breadcrumbs... Wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. No. Page 22, Carnage makes a Wonder Years joke that did actually make me laugh out loud. Which I thought was really funny. Have you no shame? How dare you interrupt an emotional reunion between a loving mother and a devoted son? People don't like like this on the Wonder Years! Come on, that was fun. Oh, well, this was 1993. Was the Wonder Years still on the air at that point? I think it may have been. I think it ran for about five years in the early 90s, didn't it? So it's probably still on the on the air at this point. Um, page 23. You can't sink to his level, Spider-Man says to Venom before he kills Carnage. Venom's already a murderer! Have we forgotten this? It's pretty the anti-hero that's all crossover. By anti-hero, you mean not a hero at all. Yeah. Page 25. Oh, for God's sake. Spider-Man is now arguing that Carnage is an innocent due to his upbringing. What crap! Blaming the parents. Oh, it's, oh, individual responsibility has no play in this at all. Oh, no, no. Uh, his parents were guiding him to uh, become Carnage and kill several people. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. Yeah. Uh, page 29. Venom actually falls for this crap. And we're supposed to believe that he actually has a conscience and sacrifices himself by propelling him and Carnage into the generators. How exactly did they both survive that? Given that it's been well established that they both don't like flame. Carnage's body doesn't look in any way worse for work. He's not suffering from third degree burns though. Just the symbiote's gone. And Black Cat's not even checking out his package. Despite the fact Spidey's letting it all hang out for it, though. Hey, look at, look at, look at Carnage's... I don't think that'll happen, to be honest with you. So, and then we see that Venom sneaks away. Well, if, if they do die now, where, where will the following stories come from? And the future action figures. <laughs> the future merchandising rights. It's all yeah. about the merch. And then where did the Avengers come from? Bloody Johnny come lately. Yeah. Don't they? It's the crease on the scrolls. Uh, yes, I suppose so. The, the two-page hot comics ad is exactly the same as the last one, so there's no difference there. And the kill count... Zero. Do we not get, like, the half one for uh, the Venom Carnage deal? No, because they're not dead. Yeah. So that brings the kill count for this episode up to two. two. So, the total of two, so over the course of this storyline, Carnage killed 166 people. I suppose that's not a bad track record. No, he started off so well though. For this vicinity? Yes, he started off off much better than he ended up, didn't he? Um, and so, we reach the conclusion. And so it ends. And so it ends. Uh, The final chapter 
benefits from cutting down the character count and concentrating on Spider-Man and Venom versus Carnage, but it's still a pretty weak end into a very weak storyline. DeFalco does the best he can, but this story didn't feel like it had any cohesiveness. It felt like a baton race. Do you know what I think? One writer wrote an issue and then handed off the baton without any consultation with the others to well, the next writer. Yeah, well, they'll probably say, right, there's my issue, that's what I did. Yeah. And then they went from there. And it really did feel like it went from issue to issue without being foreplanned. Mm. And they just wrote based on where they'd been left. And it's make it keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Yeah. And it just it, it just didn't feel any good. Um now that can't be what happened, but it felt like it. And all in all, I think we have to file maximum carnage under failure. And not even noble failure. I find it hard to believe that the words editorially mandated weren't at least a part of the conversations that spawned this event, along with the purely commercial decision to launch a new and very expensive Spider-Man comic as an integral part of the story. In terms of sales and commercial appeal, this succeeded admirably, and so to be fair, it's still a remembered storyline to this day, largely because of the unexpectedly successful video game that followed. In every other respect, this fails. It fails first and foremost as a Spider-Man story. Spider-Man is reduced to being a guest star in his own series here, existing only to give the story a home. He has no funny moments in this story. Shriek's apparent ability to rob people of their morals also robs Spider-Man of his sense of humour, and it highlights the mid-90s attempts to darken Spider-Man, lessening the character's appeal in the process. He isn't even the leader of the respective teams. Venom takes command initially and Cap takes charge in the later issues. It fails as a showcase for other writers because almost without exception, the other characters aren't interesting. Every single character in this story is thinly drawn, except in the breast department, and uninteresting. They attempt to give the black cat some moral ambiguity, but the scene where she chides Spidey for saving some people's lives instead of getting on with finding Carnage just makes her appear to be sadly deluded. Carnage vacillates in character from, from a snarky but not very bright coward to an intelligent and erudite person in different chapters. But in the final analysis, it isn't a, he isn't a strong enough character to carry a storyline of this magnitude. Venom is the worst of all. It was at this point Marvel was going through the whole misguided attempt to turn him into an anti-hero, but making the bad guys that Venom hunts worse than him does not ipso facto make Venom a hero. It fails as an exciting, dumb, but fun story. It frequently repeats story beats with the heroes doing stupid stuff that let the villains get away for no reason, other than the story isn't over yet. Characters show up for no reason. Why exactly was Carrion just floating around? Why was Doppelganger hanging around in an alleyway? Why exactly did Demo Goblin throw in with Carnage? Why was Shriek allowed to wear a uniform in the Institute? What purpose did Iron Fist serve? Or Deathlock? and they all disappear for no reason. Black Cat and Cloak just take off at times throughout the various iterations of the story, and so does Spider-Man, for no reason other than the story isn't over yet. You got anything to say? Or it's it even fails as a crossover, because complete issues of this can be edited out, and it would make no difference to the narrative flow. It's easy to believe Marvel looked at the death of Superman and just begun Nightfall and wanted something similar for Spider-Man, but seemed to forget that away from the crossover nature and hype, both those stories were about something. 
Superman being taken for granted? Take him away, watch what happens. Batman is too soft. Give us a Batman that kills and is ruthless, okay? But you may not like it. In both cases, the stories have weight and an emotional core. There's no emotional involvement on behalf of the reader in Maximum Carnage because we simply don't care. Carnage kills tons of people, but we don't care. The red shirts, straw characters designed to be cannon fodder. Characters are beaten and tortured, but we don't care because the torture is portrayed in too comic book a way to be truly affecting. Compare this to the raw emotion in the funeral for a friend, or World Without the Superman if you have the trade, whereby we felt for Jonathan and Martha Kent losing their son and Lois losing her fiance. Hell, the single page with Bibbo had more raw emotion in it than this entire 14 issue series managed in total. Compare this to Nightfall and the great panels were baying through the Batman off the building in Gotham, beaten and broken. There is no scene in this entire story that invoked an emotional reaction other than eye-rolling. When even the creators of the story refer to it as maximum garbage, you've obviously got a storyline with problems. Ultimately, this is full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Do you have anything to add to that? Because I went on a bit there, didn't I? Yeah, no, no, it's... I've got nothing. I mean, I, I didn't enjoy it this time. I really didn't enjoy it this time, but... <laughs> From that point, I can see why I did enjoy it when, when I you read were 10. it. Yeah. Yeah. See, I was much older than ten yeah. when this came out. I was twenty-one, and all the all flash, no substance image comics had never appealed to me anywhere. Yeah. I think I've said before, I've not up until Walking Dead. I read the first year of Spawn and the Wildstar Sky Zero thing that Jerry Ordway did, and that was it. They yeah. were the only image comics I read. Oh, I read Alan Moore's 1963, yeah. which I thought was appallingly bad. Fair enough. And that's it. You took off on um, Invincible as well around Walking Dead time. Yeah, but that's much later than this, yeah. isn't it? Invincible's, what, only ten years old, isn't it? Somewhere along that line. Isn't it's coming it? up on issue 100. Yeah. So it's been around a while now. Sounds so old. Yeah. There was, I felt really old when I read the newest hardback, and then I was like... I was reading this in my early primary school years. Yeah, because we, we think Invincible is every bit as good as Walking Dead, don't we? That if that's better. It's more worthy of having a TV show. I don't think they could pull it off. Well, no. See, I, I honestly think I prefer Walking Dead as a TV show than a comic. Do you? Yes. I thought you didn't like the Walking Dead TV show. I don't like the Walking Dead TV show, but I think the comic is absolutely dull at this point. It's very repetitive. It's very Rick meets a group of survivors, they all settle down, Rick gets comfortable, zombies attack, survivors, survivors die, Rick buggers off and finds a new group of survivors. Don't and forget, gruesome death of regular characters. Yes, yeah, uh, that's Garth Ennis writing approach. <laughs> but it's, the, the comic's gotten dull now, it's this far in, and the TV show, because it, it, it's gone off in its different ways, and because of that it's more interesting, because it has to capture the the readers of watch you on a weekly basis mm. whereas the, the, with the comic I think Robert Cohn was just forgetting it comes out on a monthly basis and it's all just conversations and but more people read it in the tread I read yeah. it in the hardcovers we still have to wait for it yeah we still do but it's a more satisfying read like that but this doesn't work like that no this doesn't work as a single continuous read does it because you read it like that and the repetitious nature of the story is, is even more apparent. Month month. Yeah. So it doesn't feel as boring yeah. when you read it separately. Um, 
its comic book legacy is actually quite minimal. With the Clone Saga kicking off just a year or so later, this story would have been almost forgotten without the tie-in video game that dropped in the latter half of 1994, giving this story a shelf life and recognition factor it barely deserves. That said, I was quite surprised to learn that a number of people have very fond memories of this storyline, proving once again that everything has fans somewhere. Maybe they were like me. Oh, Maximum Carnage, I read that. I enjoyed that. I do wonder if it it is. it does depend on your age and when you started reading comics. I would be interested to hear whether our younger listeners read this either when it came out or have read it recently and thought it was awesome. Mm. or whether people because I thought this was Cat when it first came out but yeah. I know Luke Giaconetti has fond memories of it right. and it would be interesting if Luke rereads it before he listens to us and whether he has the same opinion guys you ruined me or whether he's yeah or whether he's changed his mind over the years because nostalgia is a wonderful thing when you decide to go with that nostalgia and not bother rereading or rewatching. But I didn't have a nostalgic memory of this. I thought this was crap when it came out. Yeah. So I was hoping that I would actually find some merit to it but in no. the reread. And ultimately I liked the first part. I liked the last part with reservations. Yeah. Spider Man's sanctimonious nature started to get on my nerves a bit because I'm sorry but there comes a point where when you've got a serial killer of this magnitude with 166 people dead yeah then I'm sorry he's lost the right to live yeah bottom line I don't care what your situation what your opinion on killing and the peace process and the death penalty is there comes a point when somebody who's killed that many people and enjoyed it yeah I'm sorry he doesn't deserve to, to suck her so Spider-Man's attitude here was starting to push me the wrong way mm. because by and large I'm in total agreement with him for the most part Spider-Man I do agree with his personality and his outlook most of the time yeah. but not in this case I'd have been quite happy to see this story end with Carnage putting an electric chair and fried after reading Spider-Man this we want there to be a Gene Paul Spider-Man no I don't want that I just want Spidey to acknowledge that with somebody who has killed this many people. See, this is my problem with the story, ultimately. All of the people that Carnage killed doesn't matter. That has no effect. It's just a number. Let's see if Spidey is this sanctimonious if he'd killed Aunt May. Yeah. Should we? Let's see if he's this sanctimonious if he tore Mary Jane's head off. Let's see if he was this sanctimonious if, when he was in the Daily Bugle building, he'd killed everybody in the building. Mm. And then let's see if he's still... Of the same opinion that he is here. Spider-Man, the deaths are just a number then. Yeah. If he'd killed somebody who actually cared about him, Glory Grant, say. Yeah. A character that doesn't really have much to do in the comics at this point, but has been a regular character since the late 70s. If Carnage had killed her, or Kate Cushing, or any of the others, it would have been somebody that Peter had an emotional connection to. Yeah. And then maybe that would have given the storyline some kind of impetus. It would have been more interesting. Yes, because there's a personal connection there. Yeah. And then you do have the whole thing, you you would have Peter wrestling with his conscience then. Yeah. That this guy killed somebody that meant something to me, he deserves to die. But because the deaths were just a number, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And then he could have reined himself back and said, no, I don't have the right to make that decision. That's for the courts to decide. But that could have been an interesting thing to play. Yeah. But they didn't do that. No. So everyone who dies a red shirt and doesn't matter, and they will never be mentioned again. Bay of five. The game 
a single player side scrolling beat em up proved immensely popular and even spawned a sequel, believe it or not. Okay. Um, Venom Spider Man Separation Anxiety. Is that where they get split up in the other? Oh no, we didn't phone me last night. Oh, how long do I wait before I phone him back? <laughs> um, all of the cutscenes are available to view on YouTube. And yeah. I was watching them last week, wasn't yeah, I? Yeah. yeah, I watched them last week. And because I'd never played the game. So I was quite surprised to see that it hemmed pretty closely to the source material. Yeah, only because it was so much like Streets of Rage. Yes. Well, again, this story is nothing but pointless fight after pointless fight. Yeah, it would have been better as a video game rather than... Yeah, so the game designers probably didn't have to do much adapting, no. to be honest with you. Uh, Spider-Man Unlimited number 2 also had a backup strip by Kurt Busiek with art by Stephen Butler and Bud La Rosa entitled Other People's Dreams that was actually a lovely little story about not letting your imagination and love of fantasy get in the way of enjoying your life. That backup strip was better than every other story that we've covered. It was really good. Right, okay, I'm looking in my big book because that's the end of Maximum Carnage and it ended up going into one issue too long so... The plans that we had for those three issues have been scrapped. That's me rubbing them out. So next week, we have to do something down and dirty. So, should we tell them or shall we keep it secret? Uh, we should keep it secret. Okay, doc. so we know what we're going to do. It's down and dirty, but the entire extended Hey Kids family are going to be involved. Yeah. So those it's of you that like it, edition. it's a special edition. So those of you that like it when everyone else chips in will especially like next week's show. Or at least I hope you will. Yeah. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our coverage of Maximum Carnage. I quite enjoyed doing it, but I think it'll be a long time before I read this story again. If, if ever. All, yeah. yeah. Um, if you disagree and you do have fond memories of Max Carr, email in. I'd love to hear from people why they think this storyline's any good. Yes. Because I'm always open for a, a good mass debate. <laughs> Oh, that was childish, wasn't it? It was very... Right, okay. Uh, So we'll be back next week with a very special episode. The week after that, it's episode 100. Yeah. The notes have already begun. Yours The comics are already pulled. Yours are. Yeah. Well, you're doing a bit for that as well. Yeah. Okie dokie. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate your patronage. Get in touch. Facebook us. Message us. The old episodes are on Two True Freaks. If you've something to say about the old episodes, come and join us. We're rapidly approaching the end of the first season. Season? Yeah. First? Yeah. We're just getting up to the Blackest Night ones. Oh, right. So your first attempts at editing will be back out there for people to enjoy. I did Transmit before that. Did you? Did you edit that one? I did Transmit. All right, fair play then. I've forgotten about that. All right, thanks very much. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now Backbeat, the word is on the street that the fire in your heart is out Sure, you've heard it all before, but you never really had a doubt. I don't believe that anybody 
is that the devil will make work for idle hands to do production. And all opinions expressed in the show by Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Michael and Andrew, and probably not to be taken too seriously. Old episodes of the show can now be found on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. So if you're one of those people who'd be wanting to know where all our old shows are, that's where you'll find them. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday, currently at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the surname. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics that we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.